Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and I am bringing to you another installment in the Eschatology series. And today we are going to look at the coming of the Son of Man, and depending on the time, we will look into the lesson of the fig tree as well. Uh, There's only a few verses here, so I think we can move through it. If time permits, we might even close out Chapter 24, with no one knows the day and the hour. So that is the agenda for today's show. A couple house cleaning things before we get into said show. First, uh, I want to say thank you to all of those who do sponsor this podcast uh, through Patreon uh, and through other various ministry uh, ways of giving. Some people have done PayPal and, and other sorts. Um I am greatly, greatly uh, indebted to you guys uh, because, you know, this show is a um, support, supporter sponsored show. I mean, those who support us keep the show moving and uh, help keep us, uh, you know, paying all the, the fees and everything that come with hosting a podcast and producing content. So thank you very much to all of those. Uh, as a big thank you, if you haven't noticed, Uh, As this show airs, there was another show that dropped on Tuesday morning of this week. It is is now going to be my um, drive to get people uh, who do sponsor us through Patreon or whatever other means uh, to come on as a guest onto the show and choose the topic that they want to choose. And from time to time, we may have one person or we may have two uh, or three, depending on, you know, the kind of the dynamic that we're going for for that particular show. Um, these will probably air twice a month on Tuesday mornings. So probably every other Tuesday or as often as we can get scheduled and recorded. And I want to do this as a big thank you for those who contribute to this ministry and, um, and, you know, just give them something, you know, another piece that I can give back to them. So uh, a lot of people really do enjoy just coming, coming on and, and just talking. So, 
Um, I've had plenty of guests on, you know, in the history of the show. When we did the attribute series, we brought on guests quite often. Uh, we had a few people on for this series, but this is kind of a difficult topic to really have guests on. Um, but we did have Nick and the Bible Dingers uh, as they walked us through the episode on hell. And then we had Chris Gardner uh, talk to us about uh, the a millennialist perspective or revealed eschatology as we went through the four major views. And so this is just a way that we, you know, in this ministry can give back to those who support us is just allowing them to come on and share their thoughts, feelings, and heart. And uh, I, I think it was, uh, they seem to really enjoy it. We had a fantastic conversation with Chris uh, from Ezra Reads the Law and uh, Z from Narrow is the Gate. So make sure you follow them on Instagram and uh, check out what they're doing as well. Chris does host a podcast, so make sure you go and listen to him as well. So as I said, you know, it is some, it is when I built out my Patreon's uh, platform with Paul a while back, um, when we first started this podcast, we really struggled with how do we want to, you know, engage people and, and have, you know, and attract people to come alongside us in this mission. And so we did the tiers for a long time and that's really a popular thing with Patreon. Um, but when Paul and I split, I had a lot of lingering things in my mind. And at the end of it, uh, a dear friend of mine helped me really kind of facilitate this out. And it just came to this conclusion that I should open up all of the tiers and get rid of them, basically, and just allow for a single tier. And that's $1 a month. And that gives you access to everything. Because I look at it as I can't really sell you what I'm doing. Uh, I can't sell you the gospel. What I'm here doing is walking you through text and through uh, doctrine and through theology and, and then, you know, whatever other uh, types of shows I produce, you know, the stuff on Instagram is theologically driven by quotes from theologians and Bible verses and my commentaries and things like that. Um, but I figured I couldn't sell that to people. I didn't think it was right for me to sell it. And so I simply set the price point to a dollar a month, and that gives you the access to come in and join this family of in, in this ministry and allow you to partake in, and see everything that we're doing behind the scenes. Uh, that gives you access to our Discord server. There's an IG chat room that we all hang out in. You get my show notes if I do write show notes. Um, I do from time to time. And you will get uh, all of my sermon notes, which you which are produced every week. You'll get early access to the podcast. Um, as uh, today's a Tuesday evening, I'm recording this episode for Friday Drop. So they'll get it tonight and they'll be able to hear it for a number of days. Some actually uh, just like to listen to it on Friday morning. And that's fantastic. But uh, that is there as, a, as an available option. Not only that, but we do biweekly Bible studies with my congregation and the Patreon. So uh, we do a big Zoom call and uh, I do an in-person for the church. And so uh, we get um, last week we had 20 some people on uh, total as we walked through Mark uh, chapter nine. And so we do that every other Sunday night. Um, on top of that, we I do personal uh, live Zoom calls with Patreons and we just talk about various topics. We did one uh, a week ago on eschatology. And so we kind of did a redive into the four views 
and the conditions and state of the world today. And so things like that are private and, you know, only accessible for Patreon. So that's the reason I really stress that because there's a lot that we do behind the scenes and this ministry is listener supported. So, you know, a dollar a month gets you access to all that. Some people do give more because they feel um, that it helps and, you know, go further in this ministry. And it does by all means help uh, take care of a lot of the overhead. And I am grateful for each and every one of those who have come alongside us in this mission. So if you would prayerfully consider that, uh, that would be um, exceptionally meaningful to me. And I would love to get to know you guys uh, and, you know, let you experience my life and my family's life as we move through the days together. So that is that uh, as well as, you know, you can always uh, get some Undying Light merchandise on our Bonfire website. And that link is in our bio. I am also supporting now various quotes from theologians and whatever else people request. Uh, if you want a different Bible verse on the back or if you want an actual quote, shoot me a DM and I'll get one. Uh, I'll get a line running. If you want a particular you know, sweatshirt or T-shirt, uh, whatever it is, I'll get it printed and have it available for you to purchase. And from that, as you all know, my software that I'm going to be using for tonight's episode is Logos.com. And you can download that software and you can uh, go to logos.com forward slash undying light and get yourself a discount and you will get all sorts of different uh, options and packages that you can choose to download. And, and I would say spend a few minutes and find one that suits you. If you want to shoot me a message and talk to me about it, then by all means, we can uh, I can talk to you about all the different things in there, but I won't spend a ton of time on that. But there's a lot of great content in there and I hope it helps, you know, you and your walk with Christ because it's not just for pastors and theologians. It's for everybody. So logos.com forward slash undying light. So those are my three commercials and I haven't done them in a while. Um, but I really wanted to spend a few minutes, especially on the listener side because they really, um, they're the meat to this whole ministry. They are what keeps me going and they uh, are the, are the ones that help, drive me to produce these episodes with you know at at the rate that i'm doing it so thank you to all of them and i hope you guys um many long years of fellowship and and friendship and uh so that is that um so like i said early in you'll hear and see more content coming from undying light because they will be joining me on bonus episodes and uh so we will be producing that just to get a little bit more content out there into the world so Tonight's episode, as I said at the top of the show, uh, we are going to be looking at 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 least immediately these two sections, potentially the rest of chapter 24. And I want to um, provide some more context for us and help to understand where we are thus far. So if you have not listened to uh, this portion of the series make note and go back and listen to the last few episodes because we've spent some time now in the Olivet discourse uh, we have gone through the first 28 verses of chapter 24 together uh, seemingly verse by verse as we have looked and examined everything that Jesus is telling us and so the first couple episodes help really paint the picture and set up the context uh, and then we move into some of the meat and heart. And then last week, we looked at the abomination of desolation, and we talked about some of the false Christs and false teachers that would arise from that 
particular time period. So uh, now we're going to get into some interesting text here. And I hope to provide some light on this and maybe get some context surrounding it because this uh, is, again, scripture that can often be taken out of context and can lose its meaning when not applied right. And as I've always stressed on all of these episodes, context means everything, understanding the intent, understanding the arc of this sermon and making sure that uh, we are not just jumping to conclusions on, you know, maybe some of the imagery here painted or, you know, potentially taking the words and that and twisting them and pulling them out of context. So uh, your hermeneutic is exceptionally important when reading the uh, end of times text, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it is exceptionally important to um, to really have a good foundation and understanding. Now, whether your hermeneutics leads you to believe in a pre-mill uh, position, whether it's historical or dispensational, whether your hermeneutics leads you to believe in a uh, post-mill uh, understanding of the end of times and or the uh, revealed history, uh, revealed eschatology, whatever it is that you are uh, thinking of or you run into, then um, I would highly advise you to spend some time and study those passages in greater detail. And I would highly advise you to, um, you know, really develop and understand all of the context in behind all of this um, material because it's deep and it's not easy to use. And so uh, even just looking at these, you know, verses one time through, um, it's challenging because there's probably a lot more I could say on them. And, and that's why one of the beauties of scripture is that it's never exhausted. Uh, I was thinking about it today. Actually, I was, we got some substantial snowfall last night here in Iowa and it probably snowed 12 inches. And so I was out shoveling our walk today and getting the path from our house to the church cleaned up and making sure that we had everything, uh, you know, in order. And I got to thinking, you know, I have to record an episode tonight and, uh, you know, I'm on Matthew 24. We'll be into Matthew 25 soon. And we're doing this, you know, verse by verse. And then I got to thinking that down the road here, after the series concludes and our next series concludes, I want to go through the gospels and, and the whole new Testament verse by verse on this show. That's kind of my direction I want to take. And I got to thinking, you know, well, I've already kind of covered that. Do I skip it? Do I, you know, just kind of gloss over it? Do I revisit it? And then I'm thinking even more, you know, how I've preached uh, the same verses a few, few different times in different in different environments in, in church. And and I keep coming back to this idea that I could say the same verse and probably in a, and then a year or two down the road, come at it and look at it completely different. Uh, and stuff like that's okay because you're growing, your hermeneutics is expanding and deepening, your understanding of scripture is expanding and deepening. So, uh, we'll, we'll revisit all this again, you know, obviously throughout the rest of this series in one way or another, but, uh, you will probably hear me talk about it again in future, uh, series on this show. So. Uh, I just thought that was interesting that I'm out shoveling snow and this is this is the thought process that I had. So 
So without further ado, let's get to the text tonight, uh, and we will see how we are handling that. We are in uh, Matthew chapter 24, starting in the 29th verse. The title of the section is The Coming of the Son of Man. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And when all the tribes on earth will mourn, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels out with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. All right, so let's break down some of this context. So uh, the tribulation here is pretty big words uh, often used in the end of times uh, vocabulary. Uh, it's used broadly uh, and uh, for the troubles described earlier in verses 5 through 28. Uh, some of them were fulfilled in AD 70. Others uh, will be fulfilled just before Christ's return. The character of prophecy warns us against trying to calculate the exact time of Jesus' return. Um, so I want to take a note. I, I'm looking at some of my notes here. I got a note on Mark 13, 24. So we're going to read that. Again, as I said, we are kind of going back and forth between Matthew, Mark, and Luke a little bit because all of these texts uh, virtually say the same thing in one shape or another. Matthew's just a longer uh, discourse than the other chapters. So let's um, let's talk here on um, chapter 13 in Mark, verse 24. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be fall, falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Interesting use here that uh, in verse 27, we don't see the trumpet blast uh, that Matthew calls for. So uh, whenever I'm talking about the end of times, I always refer to the Matthew text usually. Uh, or if I'm even talking about Mark, I will also I will make a note on the trumpet blast, because I feel like that's a pretty significant uh, piece of information to hold it to, especially as a particular sign to herald the coming of Christ, because you don't see, you know, a lot of indicators here, right? It, the sun darkens, the the moon's not giving its light, stars falling from heavens. I mean, it's like utter chaos going on. And then the trumpet blast, I think that's pretty significant. So, uh, Mark 24, the darkening, undoing the fourth day of creation uh, is one of the notes here that's pointed to it. And obviously, if we read the fourth day of, gener- uh, of creation, Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night and let there be signs for all of the seasons and for the days and the years. That's Genesis 1.14. So uh, this kind of has some correlations here to uh, going all the way back to uh, Genesis 1 with the darkening of the sun and the removal of that, which is kind of interesting, right? If you really start to boil it down, uh, that um, this is going to be this uh, the quite significant sign. And 
I will go out and, and on the ledge here and I'm going to say this. This isn't an eclipse. This isn't a temporary moment. This isn't something that passes within a few minutes. This is stating the fact that the sun will be darkened. That means the sun does not give off light. Its fire will be will be quenched. And that is what on the fourth day of creation God did was give light to the heavens. So we have to make note too that that's obviously different than uh, the first day of creation where God said, let there be light and there was light. Down in verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day and night. So he's giving the distinctions between night and day, the sun and the moon. So just an interesting little uh, mental piece to kind of chew on there as we uh, continue on into our little path here. Uh, the sign of the son of man. Well, let's, let's, you know what, before we get to that, let's look at this really quick. Cause I really want to, um, make sure we cover this in great detail, uh, because I feel like it's, it's significant, right? So verses 29 here, uh, the sun, moon, stars, and the powers. It's possible that this is entirely literal language with stars perhaps referring to a large meteor shower that's often uh, i've heard used as a interpretation Uh, others take it as a mixture of literal and figurative language and others uh, take it as entirely figurative pointing to uh, political judgment on nations and governments the argument in favor of a figurative interpretation is that this verse echoes the possibility of figurative language about heavenly disturbances of the Old Testament prophets, such as Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and Amos. Those arguing for a little literal interpretation point to biblical accounts of actual darkness found in Exodus and in Matthew 27. The idea of stars falling and the heavens being rolled up is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament as well, Hebrews, 2 Peter, and Revelations. Whether these events are to be understood as primarily literal or primarily figurative, it is clear that these will be earth-shattering events through which all of creation will radically be transformed at the return of Christ. So that is uh, quite a significant piece to understand. And and I want to make sure we we understand it uh, clearly, because this isn't just something, as I mentioned, that will pass. So it's not an eclipse. It's not a, a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse, you know, where the sun doesn't give off light and where the moon doesn't. And these are actual, uh, this is a very particular moment in time when the reality that we know will be shifted and changed into something new. And for these brief moments, it'll probably be quite terrifying. Uh, Just imagine in the middle of the day on a bright, sunny day, you know, on a warm, sunny uh, summer afternoon, all of a sudden the light from the sun just blackens. I mean, you would have it would have to be darker than night here for that. And and then all of a sudden, you know, you can't compensate that with the light from the moon because the moon's not giving any light because it's reflecting from the sun. And then all of a sudden you see all these stars falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In these moments here in verse 29, that's that's frightening. I mean, those are f- absolutely terrifying moments to consider. 
And I, I, I just, it blows my mind at, at how loosely people will interpret this passage and, and then attribute it to something that's just ridiculous. In verses uh, 29 through 31, here are some more notes. Uh, some have understood these verses to represent the de- defeat of Satan's forces, the Son of Man's vindication, and the spread of the gospel to all of the world as having occurred symbolically at the destruction of Jerusalem. The language of verse 31, which we will cover in a moment, is parallel to passages such as Matthew 13, 41, 16, 27, 25, 31, Paul's writings to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. This passage most naturally refers to the second coming, obviously. Uh, on this reading, immediately, it is not intended to set a date on the coming of Son of Man, which would contradict uh, 24 verse 36, because that's what we're going to get into a little bit. But to indicate that Jerusalem's destruction is closely linked to the second coming and God's purposes, although the temporal distance between them cannot be discerned by human beings. Right? So here it is, 2021. Uh, the temple um, was destroyed in AD 70, and uh, you would think that many of the Christians in this time period, upon hearing the words of Jesus uh, and reading these accounts within the first you know, century or two after this, were probably frightened, if you would, maybe not quite frightened, but you know, more aware of their sense of morality. I think that's a good way to look at it. They were probably much more aware aware of their sense of morality than we are and how uh, finite we are as human beings, that everything in this world will pass away. And, And, you know, that's the interesting thing with time is that when we approach a situation, no matter how excited we are for that particular thing or how much we're dreading that particular thing, that particular thing will pass and you will be left on the other side looking back in either disbelief and excitement or sorrow and, and, you know, and, and ruin. And no matter what we come to, I, I, I look forward to Sunday mornings every week. And, and then I find myself on a Monday and Tuesday afternoon going, boy, Sunday just came and went again. And that's the thing with time is it's, it's always our enemy, this side of heaven. It is our enemy because it is slowly taking us day by day closer to our grave. And I'll let that sit in on you for a minute because I really want you to think about that. This time, this day, these minutes, second by second, it's closing in on our death. And for these first couple of centuries that Christians were out proclaiming the gospel, they had to have had this sense of urgency that Christ is coming again. And and what we will see is Paul writes later, and as we go through his wording, that many people will be scoffing at us because they will tell us that, you know, we are, we've lost hope because we've clung to something that, obviously isn't happening when Paul's out professing the gospel, when Peter's out proclaiming the gospel when all of them are out, they're shouting to the world that Christ is going to return. Uh, The first century, second century Christians were doing the same thing as the church expanded and grew around the world for the last 2000 years. We professed the same message that Christ is coming again. 
and the world responds with a mocking, yeah, well, when is he going to do it? Because he hasn't done it yet. And this text in in verse 29, I think, really kind of helps put some perspective into play because even though it says immediately, the framework doesn't indicate a particular time because it would contradict, contradict what he says in verse 36 and going forward from there. But Jesus is saying that the destruction of the temple and the coming of the Son of Man are linked and that at some level, these are probably the last two significant acts that God will display his power. The destruction of the temple and the coming of the Son of Man in the heavens. All right, so uh, before we really get into verse 30 and 31 here, uh, I'm going to read from R.C. Sproul's book here uh, just to kind of uh, continue to provide more context and more meat into this particular show. Uh, Croaching in on 30 minutes, I might just blast us through and see where we end up in time. I don't care if this show goes along a little bit longer today. Uh, Appearing on the Son of Man, crucial to Russell's view is the link uh, between Matthew 28, uh, 24, 28, the following verses that describe the signs of the appearing of the Son of Man in glory, in the clouds of glory. And we just read those verses 29 through 31. This passage describes the, the parosa, and excuse me if I don't get that word right, but that is the uh, second coming of Christ in vivid and graphic images of astronomical uh, proportions. It speaks of signs in the sky that will be visible and the sound of the trumpet that will be audible. Perhaps no portion of the Olivet Discourse provides more difficulties to the preterist view than this one. This portion leads many interpreters to see a clear historical division between references of the destruction of Jerusalem and the references of the second coming of Christ. These interpreters grant the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem took place within the time frame of one generation, but insist that Christ is yet to appear in the clouds of glory. This is true for interpreters of both liberal and conservative ends of the theological spectrum. For the preterism of Russell and others to work, they must give credible explanation to how these uh, verses fit into the time frame of the first century. Because Matthew uh, 24 in these verses Begins with the ad- adverb immediately. Russell insists that this links the tribulation from earlier verses 15 through 22 to a near at hand manifestation of Christ and glory. Russell sees no possibility of any great interval of time between these two events to argue that the second event occurred in the first century. Uh, Russell must demonstrate that the tribulation defers to the calamity suffered by. Jews during the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, so there's a lot more here uh, that R.C. Sproul writes and uh, goes through Russell's position. But, um, you know, again, we talked about Russell and his es- es- eschatological perspectives a few episodes back. And so I don't want to spend all of this time, you know, chasing that rabbit hole because I just feel like it's not really worth it and conduct conducive to where we are in our episode. But uh, I do want to say this here. Calvin wrote uh, a little piece on the imagery to the fall of Jerusalem. Um, 
does not apply to this imagery. So I'm going to read what he writes here. Uh, in what manner the sun will be darkened, we can darkened. We cannot now conjecture, but the event will show. He does not indeed mean that the stars will actually fall, but accordingly to the uh, apprehension of men and accordingly to Luke only uh, predicts that there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. The meaning, therefore, is that there will be such violent commotion in the uh, firmament of the heavens that the stars themselves will be supposed to fall. Luke also adds that there will be a dreadful commotion in the sea, the sea and the waves roaring, so that man will faint through fear and alarm. In a word, all the creatures above and below will be, as it were, heralds, heralds to summon men to the tribunal, which they will continue to treat with ungodly and wanton contempt until the very last day. So that's Calvin's remarks on this particular passage. Uh, I, you know, Luke does go into a little bit greater detail um, on the particular topic. And so I'm going to bring up Luke's um, text here just to, again, to really provide um, some, another picture here in the third uh, gospel that talks about it. And 21, uh, chapter 21 in the 25th verse, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on earth and distress of distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming in the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And when they see the son of man coming in the cloud with power and glory, now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So a little bit different framing of words from uh, from Luke here now. Uh, and we also have to remember that Luke didn't actually travel with Jesus. Uh, and so more than likely, he's probably hearing this um, from Paul or Peter and writing this as um secondary perspective so it's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind whereas matthew is sitting here with christ and taking these words you know uh, down the road he would be writing them directly but you know he's experiencing this event with jesus firsthand so that's where we get to now verse 30 then and as i've read it a few times here uh then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man so what is the sign of the son of man that is the uh that is the question of the hour is it a dove is it the cross now, there can be a lot of things right there's a referencing to daniel here with daniel's vision of the four beasts uh, where the final enthronement of christ is depicted as occurring before all people and uh there's a note here but we're not going to read it those who oppose the messiah will mourn their actions especially those who pierced him as revelation 1 7 points to so interesting right that when this event happens people will truly understand the weight then that uh of what is going to happen there is no more time to repent and get yourself right with god that is over with 
Christ is here. And, and, and I think Luke's, uh, Luke really paints this picture well, honestly, because, uh, he says here, um, in the 26th verse, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. These people will be frightened and scared and will flee and hide themselves because they cannot handle what is about to come. And so, um, and I, you know, and then Matthew writes that uh, all of the tribes of earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. I feel like that is just, uh, an amazing picture, right? Uh, he will come in the glory of clouds of heaven as your savior and the Christians will rejoice for all of the Christians will unfailingly be gathered to reunite with their fellow believers and enter into the Lord's presence. Oh, Jesus Christ, do not delay this moment for us. It is something that I know many, many Christians uh, around the world are just, this is the hope and promise we cling to. Uh, those who are experiencing immense persecution, this is the promise that they cling to, that Jesus Christ will come and shatter the heavens and take them out of those moments. All right. Uh, I do want to say one more thing here on the uh, trumpet blast, because again, um, Matthew is the only one that uh, announces that. And, you know, Luke just says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming with power and glory. Uh, Matthew's the only one that announces this trumpet blast. So I feel like that's a, you know, a, a bit uh, important. So uh, the trumpet blast is associated with the Jewish end time thoughts as Isaiah 18.3 uh, notes all you inhabitants of the world who dwell on the earth when a signal is raised from the mountains. Look, when a trumpet is blown, hear it. Again in 27.13 in Isaiah, and in that day a great trumpet will be blown. And those who are lost in the land of Assyria and those who are driven out in the land of Egypt will come and worship the land, the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And also in Christian writings, we see it in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians with the appearance of the Messiah. His angels will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The involvement of angels probably indicates that when Jesus returns he will not only gather for himself all believers on earth but he will also bring with him all redeemed who are in heaven uh, as first thessalonians 4 and revelation 19 can kind of point to so interesting piece here right this trumpet call is significant and i feel that you know it's not something to kind of gloss over but i think we should really uh paint to it and hang on to it as as an indicator that when those heavens shatter, that trumpet will blast and his angels will go out and gather all of his elect from the four winds. And so there's a lot of question on, am I elect? And did God predestine me and all these things? And, you know, I have these conversations often with people and to, to make things very simple, those I feel that have heard and know and hold to the promise that Christ forgives you of your sins and that you have faith to, con to, to pronounce 
and proclaim with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And then everything else, you're getting baptized and you being obedient and things like that, follow with that proclamation. But to have enough faith to make that statement that he is Lord and Savior and that you believe your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done, that is the very, very beginning piece to your question of am I an elect? So moving on into verse 32, uh, this is the lesson of the fig tree and uh, kind of interesting here, right? Because we we go from the son of man and uh, we get right into this fig tree. And so I'm going to read these few verses. And we're going to talk a little bit about it here. Uh, verse 32, from the fig tree lesson, learn uh, from the fig tree, learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves. You know, the summer is near. So also, when you see these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. That's a tough verse to take on. Let's do it today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All right. So uh, the nearness of time of Jesus is coming. Jesus moves from describing the events uh, to dealing with the attitudes that should characterize his followers as they prepare for the end, knowing that his return is imminent. Now, before we get into this passage, I, I want to go back to something I said earlier on the show, and I want to really make this clear. The early church, the first couple centuries of the early church, they carried with themselves this just absolute um, fear, if you would, uh, of just the thought that he was going to come back and they thought that he was going to be returning so soon. And so that is what fueled their missionary work that they were, they had to tell these people. And I feel like that is one big thing that has lacked greatly in today's world is that we don't have this same fear driving us and not fear, but you know, maybe fear of missing people, fear of not being able to preach the gospel to all people. We, we don't have this motivation that Christ is returning. And so our evangelism lacks greatly. Instead, we spend our time on social media bickering and arguing over ivory tower junk. When we should be out into the, in the world winning souls, we should be in our churches witnessing and preaching the gospel. And we should be with our church going on mission trips and helping the lost in our backyards and in the country and then around the world. But yet we find ourselves watching TV mindlessly for hours and then complaining at the end of the day, well, I just didn't have time to read my Bible today. We didn't have time to study God's word. I didn't have time to pray. I was too busy taking care of things. I work all day. I do this all day. Yeah. Well, you know, so have every person that has come before you. And yet, you know, many of these great people in the church history have found ways to put all of the world's temptations aside and to move the gospel forward. Luther made it perfectly clear when he said, I have so much to do in my day. I am so busy that I will spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. And how many of us can say we spend the first 20 minutes of our days in prayer, 10 minutes of our day in prayer. I challenge you as you listen to this show to really contemplate 
the weight that you place on things of this world versus the weight of scripture placed upon your heart. And I, and I would hope that at some point we, we get that motivation again. And, you know, the other thing I see a lot of too, is people talk about, well, we need another reformation. We need to rescue the church. No, God, God will do that. He'll do that right through persecution. And, and I feel that it's going to come here in the States and, and that'll cleanse out the prosperity and the word of faith and all that other false movements, the, these false prophets and false apostles and all this other junk that clouds the internet. Those guys will quickly, uh, will, you know, pack their bags and run away and the true church will stand. But I think what we need is God to pour the fuel under the fire in our souls to get us out and to preach the gospel. That's what we need. We need, you know, true gospel to be shared and shouted from the mountaintops. So let's talk a little bit about this passage here as I ranted for a few minutes for you. Uh, verse 34 is probably the most challenging of this, right? Uh, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Several interpretations have been offered for this different, uh, this difficult passage. One, some think that this generation refers to the disciples who were alive when Jesus was speaking, and all of these things refers to the beginning, but not the completion of the sufferings described in the previous 21 verses, more specifically verses 4 through 25. Number two, all others, or not all others, my apologies, others see in all of these things a prediction with multiple fulfillments so that Jesus, that uh, Jesus' disciples will be both this generation that sees the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and also those at the end of the age who sees the events surrounding the abomination of desolation from earlier in verse 15. Uh, number three, since this generation... Uh, of in the Old Testament can mean people who have certain quality. Others understand this generation to refer to 1A, this generation of believers throughout the entire present age, or B, this evil generation that will remain until Christ returns to establish his kingdom. Uh, and four, others, particularly some dispensational interpreters, understand generation to mean race, uh, this is another sense, uh, the Greek word, Gianna. Others, and I think it refers to the Jewish people who will pass away, who will not pass away until Christ returns. Uh, number five, others understand this generation to mean the generation that sees all of these things from Matthew 2433, namely the generation alive when the final period of the Great Tribulation begins. Accordingly to this view, the illustration of the fig tree in verse 32 shows that when the final events begin, Christ will come soon, just as all of these things of verse 33 refers to events leading up to, but not including Christ's return. So in verse 34, all of these things refers to the same events. That is the events described previously in verses 4 through 25. And obviously, concluding this in verse 35, that his words will not pass away, Jesus attributes divine authority and prominence to his own teaching. It is greater than even heaven and earth. So some weight placed here on the authority of Jesus here in verse 35. And so verse 34 
carries weight with it, right? There's five different interpretations to it uh, in regards to who this generation is and what all of these things mean. So um, I, this was a nice little uh, breakdown here I found in the ESV study Bible on this verse. I would recommend, again, as I always have, to go out and read this verse, find some good study Bibles and commentaries on this section and read them. Don't get too much into you know, a book on a particular eschatology because it will frame these verses in that particular view. I want you to uh, go and read commentaries and study Bibles on these verses particularly first, and then you can look at whatever your particular eschatology is and then read those verses through that lens. My goal, as I have said, is not to read into Scripture through one of these lens, but to read scripture outward and see if it fulfills any of these lenses that we have gone through earlier in the series. Now, uh, we've got a little bit of time. Uh, I want to finish this up. There's a few verses left and uh, we'll see what we can get through on this final section. No one knows the day and the hour. It's pretty clear cut here in these next couple verses. So verse 36, but concerning the day and the hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but the father only for as were the days of noah so will the coming of the son of man for in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day of noah entered the ark so they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know what, uh, you do not know on what day the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known and what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must always be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. For when is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has sent set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master will find doing uh, find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and drinks and eats with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not expect and cut him to pieces and put him out with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There it is. That is a mouthful to take in. All right. So we've got, again, another nice little section here I found in the ESV study Bible. If you have that Bible, I recommend digging into it. It is a massive, uh, massively helpful in understanding a lot of text. And it really does so from a particularly non-biased position. Because if it comes across something that is often conflicted across different views, it will display those different views. So it tries to take a pretty uh, straight, unbiased position. So I want to read this text here uh, on uh, verse 36. In the response to the disciples, when will these things be? Way back in verse 3, Jesus says, no one knows, not even the Son, but the Father only. This is an often verse. I, I want to make this ex, you know explicitly clear, and I think those who listen understand it. 
that this verse is taken out of context a lot because they will say that, well, Jesus didn't know everything. And a lot of false teachers and false prophets will take this verse and, 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 and flip it upside down and say, well, Jesus had to empty himself or he wasn't truly the son of God. I mean, a lot of heresies can come out of this verse if manipulated properly. So beware of that as well. Uh, in his incarnate life, Jesus learned things as other humans begin to learn. Uh, Luke 2.52 and Hebrews 5.8 points to that. On the other hand, Jesus was also fully God and as God had infinite knowledge. John 2.25, 16.30, He is apparently speaking in terms of his human nature. This is similar to other statements about Jesus that could be true of his human nature only and not of his divine nature. He grew and became strong. Luke 2.40. Increased in stature, Luke 2.52. He was about 30 years old, Luke 3.23. Was weary, John 4.6. Was thirsty, John 19.28. Was hungry, Matthew 4. Was crucified, 1 Corinthians 2.8. Taking account of these verses, together with many verses that affirm Christ's deity, the Council of Chalcedon in AD 4.51 affirmed that Christ was perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. Yet it also affirmed that Jesus was one person and one substance. With regard to the properties of his human nature and divine nature, the Chalcedonian Creed affirmed that Christ was to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by two means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. That meant the properties of deity and the properties of uh, humanity were both preserved. How Jesus could have limited the knowledge and yet known all things is difficult, and much remains mystery, but nobody else has ever been both God and man. One possibility is that Jesus regularly lived on the basis of his human knowledge, but could at any time uh, to my uh, call to mind anything from his infinite knowledge. So that's a lot to kind of take in, but it goes to show that there is a lot of heresy that can come out of this verse if not properly handled. And so we have to make sure that we as Christians uh, properly divide the word of God. And that is one I mean that he is truly human and tr- uh, truly man and truly God. He's perfect in Godhead and perfect in manhood. That's what the Chalcedonian uh, Council affirms in 451 AD. Some fascinating history to go and read. So what we can take out of this, and I think it kind of sums it up very well at the end here. It remains a mystery on how and why he does not access this knowledge. And I think mainly from a perspective that if you watch how Jesus kind of controls his ministry, there are things that he alludes to throughout, and there are things and little pieces of, of truth that he gives to his disciples throughout his ministry, and he only gives it to them at certain and particular times. And so when it comes to it, I think this is one piece of knowledge that he did not want to carry the weight of because people would, you know, would be very aggressive in trying to acquire it. And so suppressing uh, probably is a good manner to take it on, but I like the one possibility that Jesus regularly lived on the basis of his human knowledge, but could call on his, uh, to mind any of his infinite knowledge when needed. So, uh, something to kind of take into here. So as we move forward, um, you know, we get this picture of Noah being painted here by Christ. 
this is the conditions that the world would be set up in. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we did a episode on the flood in this series, so I advise you to go back and listen to it. Uh, we talk a little bit about the flood and the eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. So uh, we cover that stuff pretty explicitly. And I believe even in that, we jumped into Matthew 24 and made some references to uh, these words from Christ here. So uh, verses 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will they become a son of man. And that is a perfect setup for what happens here. The world will be swept up into their sin. They will be divulging on every front that they can. They will be eating and drinking and partying their lives away, thinking that nothing matters because uh, tomorrow we all die. That's the philosophy, right? They don't care. So then verse 40 comes into effect and it is a punch to the face for these people. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. So he goes on and tells us to stay awake and do not because we do not know on what day the Lord is coming. So these two verses here, 40 and 41, taken and left, the description may indicate that one is taken away to final judgment. Uh, going back to verse 39 while the other remains to experience salvation and Christ's return, uh, or possibly that one is taken is among the elect that the Son of Man will gather from the four winds, found back in verse 31. I have looked at this verse, and again, I try to stay as unbiased in this as I possibly can. But when I'm looking at these verses, I can't help but look back to a previous text that we just covered uh, here, here in Matthew and when Jesus says in verse 31 that he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and gather his elect. So he sets this scene here of the coming of the son of man as the moment that it happens. This is the shattering of the heavens. This is the trumpet call and his angels go out and gather his elect. And then he sets the conditions for that event to happen following in verses 32 until the end of the chapter. When we get to verse 40, he sets the scene up that I think plays well back into verse 31, that people will be living in their sin, grinding their lives away. And in these scenarios painted, two people in a field, two men in the field working, one's taken and one's left. And so I think it works well that we see here that his angels will go out at the trumpet call and gather his elect where to you know, probably to heaven or to the side of Christ. And then the other who is left will be left to judgment. And we see that. I I think there's a really good tie in there by just reading this and not having any sort of uh, eschatology lens in place. I think this verse talks very well back, uh, does a good callback to this verse here to 31. Uh, so then he goes on into verse 33, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief is coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So now we get a small parable uh, of what's coming and uh, this analogy, right, of, of staying awake. Christians should not merely keep looking for this coming of the Son of Man. Instead, they should be completing the work of the Great Commission. This is another you know, argument that I hear sometimes in some circles is that we should be always vigilant and seeking the signs of the end of times. And 
you get this a lot in some of these social media fear mongering pages and the pastor standing on the street corner with the sign that says the end is coming. Be aware of those people because they will just do nothing but deceive you. It is not to live our life in ongoing fear. It is not to live our lives in this constant nail grinding moment of, is it going to happen any minute? Instead, what we are being told is to be vigilant, to be awake, but we should be going about doing the Father's work, which is what? The Great Commission. Uh, We should be going and doing that work, as well as being prepared and expectant because the time of Christ's return is unknown. One readiness of Christ's return is found here in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, first 11 verses. We'll talk about that at another point, and we'll look at Peter's as well, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, uh, as we go through the rest of the uh, epistles here uh, after the uh, Olivet Discourse. So when he gets to verses 48 and 51, uh, he, he uses this word delayed. And, uh, you know, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, uh, this behavior of the wicked servant indicates that he is a false disciple and is deserving of that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, is basically a description of hell. And so we get this small parable. It's not really called a parable, but he paints analogies for us here in these last few verses uh, to kind of set it up for us, right? If the owner of the house, <clears throat> uh, the master of the house is is aware of when the thief will come, wouldn't he want to stay awake? Well, the fact of the matter is, is you don't know when the thief will come just as much as you don't know when the son of man is going to come because they'll come at an hour you do not expect. And so the faithful and wise servant whom has uh, his master set the house over him to give him food at proper times. And blessed is that servant uh, who will continue doing the work that his master has commanded him to do so. So that is what we're called to do is be that wise and faithful servant. But the wicked one that says, well, my master's delayed. I can just go about and eat and drink and live in sin and debauchery because Jesus isn't coming back anytime soon. I can probably get a good couple of years out of this sinful life and then I'll just repent and, you know, serve him later. Now, Jesus tells us that uh, he, he will come at that most unexpected time cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be gnashing and weeping of teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's some hard hitting text. And I I feel like there's a lot again that we can really unpack here, but I think these last, this last big section in 24 really sums up the fact that nobody knows the day or the hour. And I think we see some uh, conditions placed on this by Christ here. He says that uh, for as the day the were the days of Noah, so will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. And I, you know, you you would love to know when that will happen, right? People want to know, and so people go out and they create these calendars that are extravagantly detailed, and they're going to, uh, you know, pin the date, the specific date on when the Lord will return. And that's obviously completely false. So then you get people who will say, well, these conditions are true. And if we just, you know, look at the way the world is, we're, you know, we're like the days of Noah. Well, the truth is, is that since the flood and the repopulation, that hasn't changed. Man is still sinful. We are still warmongering. We are still 
sexually driven. We are still selfish animals. And at the end of the day, those days of Noah are just like they are today and will be tomorrow and were yesterday as well. So we could say that this current generation falls right in line with that just as much as we could say five generations ago did as well. Uh, you could say that the times during World War One and Two, when the world was just, uh, you know, swallowed up in war and death and famine, that was some scary times in human history. Who you, you would have thought that that would have been the moment. Those would have been the times that uh, Christ could have chosen to come back and not chosen, but known that could have been the preset time, but it didn't happen. And we're still here. And so we must be very careful when applying these texts to any particular time period because we need to be vigilant that nobody knows the hour, not the angels in heaven, not the uh, human son of Christ, the the man, uh, the humanity side of Christ, but only the father. And so when the father determines it, those that will be the moment. And so... I really uh, want to stress just, you know, having cautiousness when we go through these verses because they can, like I said, they can often be manipulated and and taken out of context. And so please be vigilant of that and, uh, you know, read into it, read up on, you know, what study Bibles say and what the, uh, you know, commentaries emphasize and, uh, you know, I really want to stress that because it's uh, it's crucial when understanding text instead of just saying, you know, looking at it and saying, well, I saw a guy on YouTube talk about this and he was obviously right because he used all these numbers and fancy language. Yeah, good for him. So, all right, guys, with that, um, obviously, I went about uh, 20 minutes longer than normal, but I also felt compelled to close out chapter 24 and give you guys a little bit more meat today because we i gave you a little bit of um you know the talk at the beginning with the you know sponsoring and whatnot so i hope and pray guys that you have enjoyed this little series on the olivet discourse we have one more chapter uh, that is 25 there are uh two parables i'm sorry three parables that we're going to go through so Right. Yeah. The parable of the, the uh, 10 virgins, the parable of the tenants, and then the final judgment. So um, yeah, you can call it three parables, I guess. We'll get the sheep and the goats at the end. But uh, we're going to look at 25 starting next week. And we will, um, I did a whole sermon on the parable of the 10 virgins. So we're going to kind of look at some of that stuff that I went through and then we'll look at the tenants and then the final judgment. So three more episodes on this, and then we will be moving out of the gospels and we will be digging into Pauline eschatology and moving through the rest of the new Testament. Uh, and then as been requested, we will, uh, look at, um, probably one night on, uh, Peter's eschatology because he's got a couple chapters and then we will get into the book of Revelation and uh, we will look at it in seven divisions and each uh, division will probably have a couple of episodes as we cover through those sections. So uh, we could probably say 21 episodes on the book of Revelation. I think that's what we're going to target. Probably three episodes per section of the seven sections. So give or take. I hope I can do it in 21. So 
Uh, I don't know, Pauline, side how long we're going to do that. Um, I'd like to do it in probably three or four episodes or less. If we can do it in a couple, that would be even greater because uh, I want to really get into the book of Revelation and start hammering through that text as well for you. So that is it for me today, ladies and gentlemen. I am so thankful if you've listened to this long. Uh, again, if you want uh, an Undying Light shirt or sweatshirt or something with uh, a particular quote on it, uh, just shoot me a DM and I will get it uh, I'll get it ready and you can go and get it then. So just let me know. And uh, if you want to help sponsor this ministry, shoot me a DM and I'll get you the link to jump in and join our family and then I get all the behind the scenes and, and whatnot. So uh, from me, guys, that is it. Thank you for tuning in. God bless. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will talk to you next week. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.